Welcome back to another episode of Los Cabezas Tecnologicos, the Complete Tech Heads podcast, apparently in Spanish this week, with me, your pal, Senor Tom Edwards. So, this week I am coming to you from the back end of a pretty serious case of COVID-19. It's been a rough week, so apologies if my voice sounds gruff or scratchy or I cough or whatever. Um, it's because I've been ill. But what a week it's been. So I'm sure many of you will have seen that NVIDIA's earnings came out this week and they absolutely smashed it. So the stock was pumping by like 9%, although it did fall back down afterwards, on the news that they posted year-over-year sales growth of 101% um, to $13.5 billion, according to CNN Business. And... GAAP adjusted profits grew by 429% from the same period in the prior year. So pretty wild. NVIDIA, of course, are the big multinational who uh, design GPUs, amongst other things, graphics processing units, which were, as the name suggests, initially designed for graphics processing, funnily enough, but have since come to be the de facto chip that um, AIs are built on. And so NVIDIA can kind of almost be thought of as like a proxy for AI hype more generally. Uh, so clearly we are probably reaching peak hype if we, if we hadn't hit it already. But uh, yeah, NVIDIA absolutely smashing it at the moment and it doesn't seem like anybody's going to get anywhere near them. Uh, at least in the short term. So this week on the show, who am I talking to, you ask? Well, it's a slightly interesting one this week, different one this week, because I'm speaking to somebody who I actually speak to quite a lot. Um, she is a she is the VP of marketing at Aircall, um, who are a client. Um, so I know her pretty well. She's called Lisa Vecchio. So Lisa is a B2B SaaS marketer. Uh, her speciality, I guess, I hope she, hope she won't mind me saying, her speciality is integrating marketing. So that's kind of her sweet spot. What she really enjoys talking about is integrating marketing functions, making them all make sense next to each other, making your comms and your paid social and your organic and your, you know, whatever else, all the advertising, whatever it is, all of the wonders of the marketing world make sense next to one another so she's a real strategic thinker she's very bright she's really good conversation she knows a lot about the industry so we talk a lot about marketing in this one um, which is clearly something that I know a bit about as well being as that that is my day job when I'm not sitting here talking to you people via the medium of podcast um, I market technology businesses b2b SaaS, so very very b2b SaaS software as a service if you don't know what that means sorry um but we do get onto generative ai we talk about social platforms we talk about threads which is a bit of a hobby horse of mine at the moment as regular listeners will know um and we talk about all sorts of other stuff as well so i thought it was a great episode i really enjoyed talking to lisa um and 
yeah, I hope you will enjoy listening to Lisa and to me talking about all of this stuff. Um, yeah, I think that's it. Don't think I've got any, any housekeeping or I'm not going to read out any comments this week, although there have been some good ones. Um, I hope you all enjoyed the episode with Robin Hansen last week. And I've got some really awesome guests coming up that I'll be excited to tell you all about. But for now, though, here is the very excellent Lisa Vecchio. Hello, friends. I am here with Lisa Vecchio, who is the VP of Marketing at Aircall and someone who I know very well because she had the great wisdom to hire me uh, a little while ago. Um, so, Lisa, thanks for joining me. How are you doing? Pleasure to be here, Tom. I'm super excited. Thanks for having me. Awesome. All right. Well, look, we are going to spend some time talking about the marketing world, the digital marketing world, bid on platforms, bid on generative AI, lots of good stuff. Um, but before we get into all of that, uh, could we get a brief intro to you, where you come from, what your background is? Sure, yeah. So as you've mentioned, I'm currently VP Marketing at Aircall, a phone and communication platform for sales and support teams. But my background really is quite varied. I've worked for startups, scale-ups, big enterprises like Expedia. You'll hear from my accent, I'm American. So I'm super passionate about building global to local platforms, having been in the States, spent quite a, a while in Australia, and now uh, been in the UK for eight years, if I can believe it. So um, that's that's me in a nutshell. Awesome. Um, so one thing I wanted to talk to you about, I know you used to work uh, at Hootsuite. Mm -hmm. So you know a fair bit about social platforms. Um, and I think the time when you're at Hootsuite, it feels to me at least like social platforms were a lot more divergent. There was like, you know, you had Twitter for text, you had, you know, Facebook for your newsfeed, whatever. Feels like they're kind of converging a bit. And I was talking to Matt Navarro about this, about they're kind of all sort of starting to become the same. Do you feel that? And if so, like, why do you think that is? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I know Matt really well. I was pleased to see him on your show, but... Um, yeah, shout out Matt Navarro if you're watching. Shout out Matt. Um, yeah, look, the functionality is there. We, you know, Threads, I think, is the perfect example, and I'm sure we'll touch on that. But um, sure, there's a lot of copycat going on, but I don't think that necessarily means people are going to go to those platforms to fulfill that, that similar functionality. Uh, mm. You know, if you think about why people are there in the first place, it's, it's to meet different goals for, for very different demographics. So TikTok, I think is a great example. It's, it's always competing with reels, but the functionality that TikTok's built, um, out of the gate is, you know, transforming the world of e-commerce and Shopify in a way that I don't think Meta will be able to, to really keep up with. And if you think about who's on these platforms, you know, people are on TikTok because they want to be entertained, but that's a very different reason to why I'm on Facebook. And as a millennial kind of or older, you know, I'm going on there to collect with, connect with friends and family, but yeah. Gen Z, they're going to Snapchat for that. So yeah. we can have the same functionality, but why we're there and, and what our peers are using that for, I think is very, going to be very different platform to platform. Yeah. I do sometimes feel like, what is Facebook for now? Because it is kind of just like the friends and family platform, right? Like uh, it's people... 
I went to school with posting pictures of their kids, right? That's pretty much my Facebook feed now. Like, I and don't it's know not about cool. You, but... Like, it's not cool for kids to, no, to be cool. seen on there. They're there to connect with their grandparents, right? And that's just yeah. aging the platform. But I think as a marketer, it, it serves different goals as well. You know, we know that people are on multi-platforms. They're jumping from platform to platform to serve these different mm -hmm. goals. And so as a marketer, I would just say, like, don't stress yourself out to be everywhere. Just be where your customers are. And, you know, my time at Hootsuite, that was also the core message. It was one of the number one questions we were getting from, from customers is, you know, do I need to jump on the next thing? Do I have to kind of play all my cards, you know, in all, all those places? And it's no, just figure out where the most of your audience is. Do that yeah. really, really well. And make sure that you're not just throwing the same creative everywhere as well, because different platforms have an expectation for you to consume their con that content, you know, for the platform's purposes as well. Mm. Well, speaking of, of copycat platforms <laughs> and being everywhere all at once, um, threads, it feels like I'm talking or thinking about threads at a really disproportionate level to the amount that I'm using thread, threads, right? Like uh, I talk about it all the time. I open the app never, right? Um, so what's your take? Do you think it was smart? Is threads dead? Is threads alive? What's your, um, what's your take? I mean, it kind of stresses me out. If I, <laughs> I, I was reading like time earlier this week and it said they went from 50 million daily active users in July down to like 10 million, like as of the start of this week, right? Crazy. So like, we're just Crazy. seeing the decline. The numbers are there. I thought Facebook or Meta was smart with the strategy of how they've leveraged their community, they've leveraged their database, they got so many signups so quickly, and I think that's a lesson in, in good marketing. But as a human on the other side of it, like I don't need to download another app. And I will admit, it wasn't until someone said, oh, I tagged you in threads. I was like, oh no, I've got to download it now. And I haven't. Oh my God, it. you got tagged in threads. I'm, I'm amazed. I don't think I've been tagged once in threads <laughs> yet. Like I'm literally making zero connections on there. So you're doing well getting, uh, getting tagged well, on it. Maybe your friends are more engaged than- That was uh, back in July when the numbers were at, at its peak, right? Okay, so, okay, okay, yeah. sure. <laughs> so yeah, so what, what do you, uh, what do you think it's, it's future holds? Do you think that it's got legs? Like as a marketer, how interested are you in it? Look, I think as marketers, you feel pressure to, you, you should, right? Keep your finger on the pulse, look yeah. into these things, you know, experiment, but don't, don't let it stress you out. You know, you don't, don't put all your eggs in that basket and all of a sudden shift strategies, like focus on the strategies that, you know, work and then use that as an experimentation playground. Do I think it have, have, has legs? I don't know. I don't know. I really don't know. <laughs> um, you know, I think Twitter X, whatever we're going to call it is, you know, it's got a bad name to it. I don't really see anyone starting their strategy from fresh going there. Maybe you'll have new brands coming out that will start, but I think it depends on who's staying there. You know, you're seeing celebrities aren't posting regularly anymore. Influencers aren't posting regularly anymore. So I'm going to, if I'm going to have to pick one direction, I'm going to say it's, it's not going to maintain its momentum. Mm, yeah. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's going to, I think Threads is going to struggle. X, I really, I, I really have no idea. I, <laughs> I, I kind of feel like, I feel like Elon Musk is relentless, right? Like, I mean, I suppose Zuckerberg is as well, but I don't know. I, it feels like the, the, the problem I have with Threads, right, is that when I go on there, the people I'm connected to on Threads are just like the people I was connected to on Instagram. Yeah. 
and I'm not really super interested in their like opinion, harsh as it is to say. I'm interested in pictures of their wedding, right? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? On, on, that's kind of what Instagram's for. Like, I I wouldn't follow the people I follow on Instagram on Twitter necessarily, and I wouldn't X, and I wouldn't follow the people I follow. On, I certainly wouldn't follow the people I follow on X on Instagram, right? Like, I definitely don't want to see their photos. Um, so, yeah, I think it's just a completely different social graph. That's mm. my kind of position on it. Um, and I don't think Threads is going to be able to replicate the social graph that X has built up over, you know, however long, decade, a decade or more. Um, it'll it'll struggle, I think. So I, I reckon it'll get folded into Instagram eventually. Matt Navarra disagrees, so probably go with, <laughs> go with him rather than me. Um, but yeah, that's that's uh, that's where we are. So so you are a B two B SaaS person like me. Mm-hmm. Big love for the for the B two B SaaS world. Um, so you've been doing it for for a while. We've kind of mentioned Hootsuite. You mentioned a couple of other businesses that you work with. How has the B two B SaaS world changed since you've been doing it? Um, so uh, when I think about this, my brain goes straight to like team functions and like what we're being asked to do as B2B marketers, which maybe might be interesting as well that like, that's where, where my thought process went. But when I think about when I started this, like, you know, kind of early mid, uh, you know, two thousands, I didn't know, I didn't think I was doing real marketing because I thought real marketing was TV ads and for B2C brands and you know, even as a marketing coordinator, what I was doing was product marketing, field marketing, customer marketing, but it didn't have those labels then. It was just being a B2B marketer and it was something I wasn't even proud of because I didn't really understand the distinction so much. And over time, you know, product marketing is now one of the most sought after, you know, job functions in the B2B world, but it's actually evolved into that over the last 20 years because it was always buried as just something that you do. Um, And now it's something that, you know, earns a seat at the table with the product team, with the C-suite, et cetera. So I think how those functions have, have evolved and, you know, demand gen wasn't a function 20 years ago. And so we're just kind of reshuffling these skill sets and repackaging them into, I guess, the way the the industry is evolving. And I, I, I was trying to anticipate, well, what's the next, you know, title, big function going to be? And I, I, I couldn't really guesstimate what it is. Maybe there will be something around um, AI or I, I don't know. What are, yeah. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, don't, I mean, I don't know. Like, I, I think it, you, the point you make about product marketing is, is bang on. I think it's interesting that you didn't kind of see yourself as a marketer because all of those things, I would very much say that is that is what marketing is. Um, like the B2C stuff for me is more like advertising, which mm. I kind of feel is a different thing. Um, but yeah, like, I don't know, in, in terms of the next thing, it probably is going to be something like um, AI uh, I, I don't know, like yeah. engineer. Officer wasn't a role also twenty years ago, and now yeah. I think I feel like demand gen people have people went all the way down the rabbit hole with with demand gen, and now you're almost coming all the way back out again because the platforms are becoming so um, are converging so much. Like we said, it's like there what there was like this kind of air of 
mystique and, and magic and enigma around around demand gen marketing whereas now it's just like oh no it basically is advertising you can just track people right like it's actually like it's not it's it there's no magic involved it is just you know maths and like you know once you've got the requisite expertise with the platforms you know you're not a well, I challenge, I challenge that because I think it, it okay, okay. Who, you, who you speak to and how you define demand gen because there are, you know, very kind of um, two ends of the spectrum here is demand gen just being performance marketing and just platform and metric based or demand gen about being about demand creation as well. And then you've got mm. the entire tofu aspect of influence yeah. and the whole, you know, I'm super passionate about the whole LinkedIn 95.5 rule and how you're creating yeah. demand for your future buyers. And that's just, not- Let's uh, quickly, do, we should, I feel like we should de uh, define tofu just be, because I know that not everyone who listens to this is a marketer. I've got some who yeah. are just uh, yeah. interested in tech. So tofu, we're talking about top of funnel, aren't we? Yes. Um, and so, yeah, just uh, there, there will be lots of marketers listening, but there, there will also be some people who they think we're talking about lunch. <laughs> yeah. That's true. That's true. Never thought about it. Like that. Um, but yeah, so that's I think that's the thing with demand, Jen. Is you know, are you creating demand for your future buyers? Are you top of funnel creating awareness and um, awareness of a problem they don't yet know they need to solve? Versus, are you just pulling them into your funnel and converting them and converting that demand and um, I'm I'm much more of a much more aligned to the the broader picture of what demand gen is than purely mm. performance marketing. But that's where you can have misalignment. It's actually one of my favorite questions to ask in an interview when you're joining a new marketing team is what is your definition of demand gen? Because I think aligning on that uh, philosophy is super important. Mm. Okay. Well, that's a great segue into my next question, um, <laughs> which is about if you are talking to a you know a, a young gunslinger who wants to kind of get into the industry and, and and climb the climb the ladder as as you've done what do people getting into the industry now need to know what's your advice to young interns or whatever it is that you're speaking to well firstly i think it's that b2b is super cool don't think you've got to go work in advertising work in b2b marketing you know yeah yeah uh, but I think that's it. Is it, it is so cool. I'm so passionate about it, and I'm glad I kind of stuck through it throughout my career. And now I don't think about going to the dark side um, because I, <laughs> I think I'm going to build an amazing career here. Um, what I would say to them is, um, it's um, it's still marketing. I think in the traditional sense because B2B buyers are human as well, right? And mm. so what you're taught in school is very different. It's, it's, you know, that B2C is advertising and B2B is men in suits and features and just boring tech, but actually you can get creative. You need to think about your customer in, and what, what problems you're looking to solve for them. It's about storytelling. It's about showing up, you know, as a brand, uh, with, with a message and a purpose. So I think I would, I would just encourage them to not really have that, like one play one off of the other when it comes to B2B and B2C. Um, mm. Yeah. Yeah. We're all humans, right? We're all humans. Like... And, yeah. And B2B buying isn't linear, right? So there, there is no yeah. like magic um, formula, I think, for B2B marketing because uh, it's a combination of lots of different marketing functions and disciplines 
I think, to be an effective yeah. B2B uh, marketer. Yeah, I, and look, I, I think that's kind of what I was trying to kind of get at with the with this idea that there isn't like magic involved. You know, like it isn't there isn't a formula which says you know a secret, you know, magic spell which says okay, now here are all of these like faceless suits that we just pump into our funnel and now we've got customers, right? Like it doesn't it is you're still marketing to people, so in a sense it's like there isn't a, a, a huge difference, right? It still needs to be interesting. You still need to earn the click, as they say, you know, like you still need to, um, you know, engage people on a, on a human level as much as anything else. It's just with B2B, you've got a lot more like detail and like technical stuff to talk about that you don't, you just don't bother doing with consumer, right? Like you, it's, there's much more sort of, you know, brand for brand sake in consumer, whereas, you know, you have pain points as we, as we like to say, or you've got, well, you've got technical specifications that are solving problems yeah. for people, right? And it's not just one person making the decision in B2B, you know, you're not yes. just buying the yeah, phone, asking your friends about, you know, the, the behavior is similar. You're going to ask your friends, you're going to do some online research, you're going to, um, you know, word of you have recommendations or brand affiliation and all of that is the same, but then you've got someone else making the decision for you or the budget is a lot more significant. And there's a lot more on the line to prove ROI for the investment. And I think mm. like she said, from a technical standpoint, like the, the amount of stakeholders involved in the decision is um, much more complex depending yeah. on how big the organization is. Yeah. And there's the old thing of, you know, no one's ever going to get fired for buying the market leader, right? The incumbent, you know, yeah. so like if there, there's that kind of people have their or if it's a big if it's a big purchase, they've kind of got their own livelihood and their own corporate reputation on the line. So there's a degree of reassurance involved as well. I think mm -hmm. that yeah. big incumbents have to worry about a lot less than, you know, scrappy tech startups. Yeah. Um, so I've kind of got this idea that with all of the different tools that we have now, more and more of us are kind of becoming generalists. Mm -hmm. um, and like you have, you, you do still have some specialists, but actually there's, you, you kind of increasingly have to be general because you can. And so lots of people are. And so you kind of have these T-shaped careers, right? Where people are deep on one thing, but then they're general across lots. And that's, that's a very desirable characteristic to yes. have. Like, do you agree with that? Do you think we're all becoming generalists? Um, look, I think you're always going to need some level at an operational level, deep expertise. And so I, you know, even when I talk to young marketers, I think start with, firstly, if you're going to start with like where you're going to go, think about what you're good at and what you enjoy and what's going to kind of bring you joy on a day-to-day -day level. If you're really good at maths and analytics, you know, don't force yourself to sit in a creative role because it's got a fancy title. Um, so we're still going to need people who have, you know, lifecycle marketers, certain digital marketers, um, graphic designers, you know, there's so many specializations in marketing. It's so multidisciplinary that that's never going to go away. And if you're highly skilled at one of those things, keep going because you're going, everyone needs that skill set. What, what I'd say though is, you know, I think, as you get more senior and depending on what your personal goals are, having that varied perspective is, is invaluable, right? You know, a CMO mm. is someone who's going to need to understand all of their marketing functions, even if they don't understand them deeply in terms of where to put the button or, you know, what to call the CTA, you know, for example. And I think even more so having experience in other 
other parts of the organization having sales experience, yes, experience is invaluable. So myself as a as a generalist, and at one point I, you know, I'll admit I was, am I, is this detrimental to my career that I'm almost too much of a generalist? It's actually helped mm. me move into the functions that I've been in the last couple of years around integrated marketing because I have a helicopter view. I've, I'm able yeah. to bring the functions together on a unified vision. Um, but doing that maybe at, at other levels, it's it's easier to make yourself, you're more dispensable because you don't have the specialization. So I think it is depending on where you are in your career, your professional goals, and what the organization needs as well. Mm. So let's talk about integration then. You mentioned integration. That is your speciality, your sweet spot um, in the marketing world, I think it's fair to say. Um, yeah. yeah. So like... What, what do we mean when we talk about integrating marketing? Like what, because, because uh, I, I feel like it's the kind of word that has been, like it's been, it's been thrown around quite a lot, like forever, right? And I've kind of seen it to varying degrees of success in different businesses um, and, and very varying. Some do it really, really well. Others just kind of talk about it and don't really know what it is that they're even discussing, right? They just think it sounds like a cool word to throw around. So like, what's your, what's your vision? in terms of integrating marketing? Well, I love this question because I'm super duper passionate about it. Um, and I'd say like going back to the, like, what we discussed earlier, it's part of the like what's changed in B2B marketing. I don't know, I, yeah. I didn't, I, I'm speaking to a lot of uh, marketers lately and other companies who are like, wow, this integrated function that you're leading, I've never heard of this before. Like, what does that look like in practice? And even sales yeah. leaders or C-suite, uh, it's, it's a fairly new, um, word that is being thrown around from their perspective on, on what it, what are we doing actually. So I'd say that maybe in, in your world, it probably is something you've been hearing for a while because it's almost being picked up from like the agency model to a degree where if you think about what agencies do, uh, do well, if you're an integrated agency, you're going to create a marketing plan for a client that's going to think about how your big idea is leveraged across all of your channels, right? So you're going mm. to market with a consistent message for greater impact, um, better efficacy and um, that's really what, what my goal is within a large marketing organization right it's to break down silos streamline planning make sure that we're not having this kind of bottoms up approach where each team is working on their own pillar and it's disconnected to you know our primary goals it's about bringing all of that together so it's one vision we're going to market with with the same message at the same time we think about how uh potential customers interacting with your brand, you know, all of a sudden that, that brand awareness is increased because what they're seeing on organic social is consistent to what they're seeing on organic paid. Oh, actually that PR thing that came out recently, that's along the same messaging that they're seeing uh, on the email that got pushed out this week. So taking all of your channels and, and unifying your planning is my goal. Now, easier said than done is, um, to what you said you've seen it done well in some organizations and i i think especially if you're an organization a large organization the legacy is what bites you in the butt because you're having to unlearn you know unlearn certain things or some some people some teams might even feel threatened like well are you taking away my autonomy or my creativity or my ability to to kind of think for ourselves and that's not the goal the goal is to really allow that those specializations to thrive but with more centralized kind of focus on what the output needs to be from, from a, I think, messaging or campaign perspective. Does that mm. make sense? Is that, did I over it makes, my description? No, 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 no. It makes perfect sense. I think you're right to 
identify legacy and look you know that's often the problem with people who are trying to change the way things are done in any mm. line of business right it's it's legacy process and like you want to disrupt the process without disrupting the people and like getting you know annoying people and stuff so like what what are some of the main like pitfalls that you've found what where have you struggled and what have you learned i think um something you've really got to be attuned to is is making room well not even making room agility being agile um mm. we don't know what we don't know about what's going to come out in the news next in you know macro uh, economic factors etc and so what you don't want to be is so rigid to go we've done our planning this is our plan we can't stray from our plan otherwise you know it's all going to fall apart it's you've got to leave room for the wild card or the 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 reactive moment where you know if all of our customers all of a sudden are talking about x let's not put it on the calendar for next year let's let's actually do something about it now and i think um it was a conversation I regularly had at my time at Hootsuite. And, you know, as we're building this new function at Aircall, it's something um, that's always in the in the back of my mind. Mm. You're always going to also, I say, think, you know, from the siloed perspective, there are just going to be people or teams who, who don't want to get on board. And so, you know, one of my biggest jobs is relationship building and influence, right? Because it's it, yeah. you need to have the, those relationships to bring people along for the ride. Um, it needs to be part of a story you're building internally. And what mm. I'd say is telling that story up front, it, people need to actually experience it. They need to experience your first integrated campaign or, or actually see the process and how that's improving and saving time and the impact on the numbers on the other end for them to go, oh, okay, now I get why we're doing this. I get why you've actually made my life easier and our, our performance is improving. Um, but that isn't, um, I think that's part, part of the bigger the bigger challenges as well. Yeah. I I kind of feel like over time I mean this is just a pet theory of mine so it's it's not uh you know not, a, not it's, it's it's not expertise to say but um I've got a theory that increasingly more and more of our working life is going to be about managing interpersonal relationships as AI starts doing more and more of the kind of like the execution right so it's going to be more and more about making decisions to give to your ai tools which will go and do whatever it is that you've decided that they're going to do like we're definitely not there yet and i think that we have kind of come a little bit down from the giddy hype mm -hmm. highs on uh, llms i think we are sort of starting to realize that yes they are still narrow right like that they they aren't they don't have agency in the world and I don't think they will for a while, but they are super powerful. And like, uh, yeah, I think that, yeah, increasingly it's going to be about the interpersonal relationships and the decision-making rather than the doing that we spend lots of our time doing now, you know, we'll all have an AI assistant. So all of our zoom meetings, we'll just have to say, book me a zoom meeting with Lisa on Tuesday at three. And then it's done, you know, you don't have, even have to open Zoom. You don't have to, you know, it, like the agenda will just go in there for you, like all of that stuff. Oh, can't wait. So a lot of that busy stuff, we just won't do anymore. Yeah. That's my, uh, that's my, that's my guess in, mm. for the future. What do you think? Sound like a good vision? Um, I mean, I think from the efficiency standpoint, I mean, that's what we're talking about, right? We're not talking about replacing yeah. humans. We're talking about scaling we're talking about faster quicker outputs uh we're talking about um i don't i don't want to say shortcuts but you know things are going to help us get there faster but you still need yeah. 
the human eye interaction, approval, edits, and I'm, I'm thinking with a content hat on now, but also just, um, yeah, I, from a interpersonal relationship standpoint, if, if they don't, if they don't exist, it's dangerous because this is where, you know, you know how like, you know, when you communicate through email and things just get misinterpreted because tone isn't yeah. necessarily represented. And if you don't know someone, you don't know their tone. You think about yeah. what they're Classic. producing for people. Like you put my Zoom meet, you know, your AI assistant put the Zoom meeting in my diary, but I had a conflict and, you know, well, I don't know yet what that's going to turn into that yeah. AI was out of context to my personality or my. Yeah. God, that's a great point. I hadn't even thought of that. Yeah. yeah being misinterpreted because your ai proxy has done something wrong <laughs> imagine god yeah have to have to have a disciplinary meeting with your ai chatbot <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, um so look talking of future then like how do you think marketing is going to change in like three years where are we going to be what are you what are you planning for mentally um... in the future yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot on the AI front, of course. Um, I mean, it's a deep topic. <laughs> so, I, you know, where, where we go from there on the marketing front. Um, but I, I'm quite interested, and this is, this is just like a side note, outside of AI is around voice and voice search and not just generative, mm. generative search. But, you know, when I look at, you know, my stepson who's 10 and everything is done voice, you know, the digital natives who are, you know, we, it's always been on everyone's future trends agenda for the last 15 years that, you know, voice search is coming. But I really feel like witnessing and especially post COVID, like how young children right now interact through the TV, through the phones, through voice notes, all of this, like, um, I think it's going to change the way we market significantly in the next couple of years. And wow. AI being a, uh, AI air call being a voice tool. Uh, it, it's quite exciting for me actually to think. Yeah. About yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I think you're right. Like I, I find myself just on a anecdotal level talking to Alexa. And so I've got an okay Google in one room mm -hmm. and an Alexa in the other. Right. So my, my wife is forever calling Google Alexa and Alexa Google and uh, getting annoyed with it. But, but yeah, all, all the time, all day. It's, so, it's such a normal thing for me now to ask Google what the time is or, you know, what the weather's going to be like later, or if I can listen to some music or whatever. Um, and it's just so normal. And that would have been crazy 10 years ago. Like, I mean, I don't know when Alexa first came out, but I'm, I'm always talking to, to computers now. And I have, got, I have, ch I have chats with chat GPT yeah. about stuff. Um, you know, and that's just messaging at the moment, but that'll be voice eventually. Yeah. Um, so yeah harnessing because it's quite a high bandwidth way for us to communicate right like we we can we can talk faster than we can type mm. so it's kind of like the highest bandwidth output that a human can give right i mean maybe dance <laughs> i don't know whether the medium of dance is a higher bandwidth than uh, than talking but other than that it's the laziness though that comes with it that uh, that scares me i think from a generational perspective of like you know you're on your couch you're talking to your tv you're flipping through channels using your voice which is it's it's pretty low effort to pick up a remote or literally we were just <laughs> yeah. and i was like oh it's 
you know, it was raining in London this morning and I'm like, oh, well, the rain should stop around 11. And my stepson's like, no, I asked Alexa. She said 12. And I was like, okay, well, you know, who's the authority here? Is it Alexa or is it my phone that I Googled or, you know, it's probably the same data, but <laughs> it's funny. Yeah. 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 Weird. Weird. I mean, just even the idea that, that Google or Alexa would be an authority over a, a human. Yeah. Is, yeah. you know that's only I'm that's wrong. only something that's Alexa's been, right, right? <laughs> yeah like yeah. you just assume that you're wrong if if the computer disagrees mm. and that's you know that's in, insanely normal now but would have been mad like i don't know I, I don't know how long ago 10 years 20 years i forget how old i am now so like yeah i'm getting on but it would have been it would have been crazy to think um whereas now it's it's super super normal mm. um so yeah i mean speaking of things that would be crazy now that might be normal in the future um generative ai is here uh i feel like i spend a lot of time thinking about it and talking about it mm -hmm. um where are you on the worried to excited generative ai spectrum yeah i would say that um i'm less worried and more excited but probably the, the in between there is over overwhelmed <laughs> Because, you know, it's a conversation on yeah. a daily basis and the volume of new tools coming out, the different use cases, like we need to make time to experiment. And there are some people who've gone 110% into this. And I, I think we need those people in our camp because we need to be taught what we don't know and how to prioritize this stuff. Um, mm. But I'd say overwhelmed and excited. But, you know, what scares me is I don't know what I don't know. And that is, you know, you've got a bit of FOMO, but you also have a bit of like, where is like, you know, the, the kind of black mirror version of, of all of this of like, what don't we know about what this is going to turn into and yeah. all the scary stuff. Uh, but I'm trying not to think about that too much. Have you heard of the, have you heard of the Shoggoth? No. Have you heard this? No, there's no reason why you would. I thought you might have done that. So it's this idea in the, so there's a, a community online called Doom, Doomerism. Oh, right. I don't know if you've heard of right. So it's it's, and I, I had a uh, one of the one of the people who kind of talk about this stuff on Twitter, a guy called Liron Shapira, on to kind of educate me about doomerism and this idea that we are at, at great existential risk from AI self improving and and going exponential and like you know basically the theory goes that eventually its its goals are going to intersect with ours and it will be easier for it to wipe out all humans and just get on with whatever else it was that it wanted to do. Right. Um, and it sounds, it sounds mad and silly, but it's kind of, there's, there's quite a lot of logic there. So it's kind of worrying. Yeah. Um, anyway, the, they have this idea of a Shoggoth, which is this great big, oh, scary monster, but it's got a little smiley face mask on. Right. And so the smiley face mask is the chat GPT interface. And it's kind of there to represent all of the crazy LLM maths that are going on in the background that we should be worried about. And then the little smiley face that we kind of engage with. Um, yeah, it's kind of a, it's a, it's a strange thought because I think, uh, you know, most people are, as you say, kind of overwhelmed. There's no way that most of us are ever going to understand the, the technical detail that go into building these large language models, right? Like, I mean, I, I, I can't do, I can't do that, you know, I can't do linear algebra or whatever, or nonlinear algebra or whatever it but is. You don't have know. to, right? Um, it's been built for you and you just show up at the yeah. front door and feed it. 
Hence, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, through the mask. Yeah, mm. um, yeah. No, you're right. Um, yeah. So, look, I mean, I, I'm kind of, I, I'm, I think I'm with you. I don't think I'm on the, all the way at the excited, all the terrified, and I'm, I'm in the middle, which is a bit of both, and also like, oh God, there's so much I need to know. Um, but it's exciting. It's exciting mm. times. Um, so, the last thing I wanted to ask you about being a Brit, a Londoner, uh, and as an American living in Europe, living in London for as long as you have done. I know you've also lived in Australia. Um, but I'd love to get your thoughts on European tech and how it compares to the US. Um, because I think being in London, I'm kind of in a bit of a bubble in that it's very different from the rest of the UK. Um, but obviously, it's also very different from the US in terms of just economic productivity, mm-hmm. venture capital, all of that sort of stuff. So like, what do you think of the big differences that you've experienced? Yeah, well, first, I don't think I can call myself a Brit. <laughs> I'm just living. In- no, you can't. No, sorry. I, I'm, I'm a Brit. Um, sorry. Yeah, no, you are a American. Yeah. Um, um, I think it's interesting. Well, yeah, there is this London bubble. And I think there are still a lot of similarities, I think, you know, the UK market kind of follows some of the US market and some and some trends. But, you yeah. know, the typical model that you experience is a US company hitting certain key milestones, and then going, we're ready to expand into Europe, right? So they've kind of got their stuff together to a certain degree before they're ready to scale. And when you flip that model, you know, I'm working for a French founded company, but who has representation in the US that came later, mm. right? It's much more different difficult to do because the US is so competitive and it can be very expensive to scale there that doing it backwards, you know, has its challenges. I love when Americans say they're going to Europe, um, just a small anecdote, but like, you know, for my wedding, which happened in Sicily earlier this year, you know, everyone was using London as a base to get to Sicily because, you know, Europe really? is just one destination. But, yeah. you know, when I think when you think about tech and businesses is Europe's complex. There's a lot of countries in Europe. We've got different currencies, a very different regulation, uh, languages, cultures where, you know, we're conflicting the way that people work. And I think even like from an employment standpoint, longer holiday periods, different employment laws, all of these are friction points that make it more challenging for a European company to scale quickly and to innovate. And, you know, I think there's some data around like how slow Europe was after the big tech and internet boom to kind of react to that. And, and yeah, there's, there's, there's amazing innovative companies building, but to get the investment to scale without being able to kind of capture the the velocity that I think you have when you start in a U.S. market, um, is, is an uphill battle. Mm. Yeah. It's funny. Did, Did you see the, there was a meme kicking around um which was like an american i can't remember what the exact pictures were but it was an american saying to a european uh you know we have a higher gdp better productivity and like more unicorns than you do we win europe and then europe sends back uh, an out of office saying i'm on i'm on my summer break until september 15 you know um it's, i find it quite funny because uh, it's kind one, of but i yeah. can totally relate to it <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, cool. Good. All right. So, look. On that note, then, why don't you tell me 
What's going on at Aircall? What are you excited about? What's coming up this year? What should people know about Aircall and, and what's going on with you guys? Yeah, well, um, first of all, Aircall's doing brilliantly. Uh, and, you know, AI is the buzzword of this podcast. And I think you know, we can say the same thing for Aircall. Um, we've got a lot of really cool stuff coming out that, you know, our focus is on helping sales and support teams be more uh, productive, help their, you know, customers understand the conversations they're having and going back to voice. And so, you know, AI is going to play a critical role in that. So stay tuned and keep your finger to the pulse if you manage sales or support teams. Awesome. All right. Well, I think we can uh, wrap it up there. So listen, Lisa, thank you so much for joining me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, and uh, I will speak to you soon, I'm sure. Yeah, well, thanks, Tom. I had so much fun today. So thanks for inviting me along. Awesome. All right. Thanks, Lisa. Complete decades. Well been running, baby. Complete decades. Well been running, baby. Complete decades. Well been running, baby. Complete decades. Well been running, baby.